it's time for Thursday Finance for our sponsor, Pritchard and & Partners, and uh, Stephen Pritchard joining us. Um, yeah, well, one of the hot topics of the moment, uh, Stephen, is gas prices. Are they going up? Are they going down? We're going to have a supply guaranteed, we hear. Well, we're going to have a supply guarantee, but if you, if you read the release, it didn't actually say at what price. It didn't. It didn't say at what price. I mean, the government's only done half the job here. You know, no one can explain to me why you can go to Japan and buy gas that's produced in Australia and shipped across to to Japan and, and put in their distribution network over there cheaper than I can buy gas in Newcastle. Australian gas. Do you know that's a familiar story? The same thing can be said about Australian wines in uh, Britain, can't it? I don't know. I've never been to Britain. (laughs) (laughs) Take my word for it. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, the government needs to to turn around the gas producers and say, well, this is the world price. This is all you're allowed to charge in Australia. I mean, you know, it's only half done. You know, yes, they're guaranteed supply. But but why are they selling gas cheaper overseas, our gas cheaper overseas, than 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 we are in Australia? And Australia is the second largest gas exporter in the world. You know, probably we need to look at Qatar, which is the largest gas exporter, and see what the natural gas is being sold in in Qatar to their residents for. And that's probably the benchmark we should be using in Australia. Well, that sounds very logical. Well, why, why, is that, why, why is the government allowing them to do this? I think, doesn't this happen with a lot of our commodities as well, that there are special prices for exporters or for people buying in other countries? Um, yeah, yeah I, I think they are. But, 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 you know, wine's not really a... The price of wine, much as some people would think it does, doesn't affect you know all the core manufacturing industries in Australia. And, you know, if you've got a, 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 a foundry that uses a lot of, of gas, and, and you've got a foundry in the new China and Japan that uses a lot of gas, and it's using Australian gas, what, why is the foundry's cost base in Australia more expensive than it is? Why is the energy price more expensive in Australia than it is in Japan? Does the same thing apply to coal? Do you think? Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't have thought so, but it might. Yeah, you never know. There's a lot more competition in the coal market. There's a lot more coal producers, and so gas. You think we should be realising? It needs to be, how be prop- It needs are. to be properly regulated. Yeah. The problem in Australia is, you know, we've got this regulation. We've got a whole raft of regulators that don't actually do anything. As I found out with the telecommunication industry, ovens, <laughs> they 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 don't do anything. This is a whole program's worth here. Maybe yeah, that's right. Maybe we better. Well, take I mean, the the, the 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 ombudsman of the telecommunication industry, ombudsman, said in a public press release she didn't understand, she couldn't pinpoint the reason why complaints were rising about the MBN. Now, if she's in that job and she can't pinpoint the reason, I suggested she give me a call, but she never did. But I think she should resign. Personally, if she can't work that out, she should resign. <laughs> In the meantime, we'll see what's happening with commodities. Thanks, Jane. Um, the price the price of gold was up a little bit on the week to uh, $1,633.58 an ounce. Uh, the price of copper was, was pretty much steady at $8,053 a tonne, and the crude oil price was up 3.7% on the week to $73.46 a barrel. Um, the US dollar... Australia, the Australian dollar's fallen against the US dollar again this week. It's down to uh, 78.51 cents. Mm. Um, so it's a bit more expensive for those people uh, going overseas or those people uh, importing 
some goods. And the Great British Pound, um, we're up up against the Great British Pound at 58.27 cents. So the wine is a bit cheaper again in uh, in Britain, as you say. <laughs> um, and New Zealand dollar, uh, we're still against the New, Ze- New Zealand dollar at 1.08. And against the euro, we're, euro, we're up about half a percent to 66.81. Euro seems to be pretty much steady. It, you know, it goes up half a percent this week and down half a percent next week. And yeah, and they're supposed to have latent problems, aren't they, at the moment? Yeah. Uh, Potential problems. Potential problems. Yeah, the European that. Union. Mm. The European Union. Um, yeah, well, the UK was quite smart not um, uh, in keeping the British pound, I suspect. Um, the All Honours Index uh, was up uh, 0.3 on the week to 5,738. Uh, the S&P Index was um, up 0.2 to 2,507. And the... Hang Seng Index was down 1.6 to 27,642. Um, a few, uh, a few, few um, local Stock. stocks that local investors like or tend to invest in. Um, BHP was down 1.1% of the week to 25 $25.72. Um, CBA continues to drift downwards, uh, down, down another 1.2% to $75.11. Um, NIB was up uh, 1.7% to $5.79 and they announced a um, share purchase plan, I think, yesterday. Um, so they're looking for some money to fund their acquisition of that new health fund from um, from um, Australian Uni. Um, and Telstra is also continuing to uh, drift away, um, down another 2.1% to $3.48. Mm. Mm. Yes, uh, wasn't that long ago? Eighteen months ago, Telstra was six dollars, mm. mm. um, and the fuel price—you mm. don't seem to be right in your prediction at this point. Yet, I say. Yeah, well, I suppose there's tomorrow, isn't it? We're not at the holiday yet. Yeah, so we're basically the same as last week—a dollar twenty-two cents a litre, and Sydney a dollar twenty-five cents. So they're pretty much the same as last week. The diesel price a dollar twenty-seven in Newcastle and a dollar twenty-four in Sydney. So mm. you've still got a day. <laughs> I better get my fuel filled up today on the oh, way I'm, back from the radio station. What How's a good that? idea! <laughs> That's all I can say. Joined by Henry Jennings from the Marcus Today Financial Newsletter. Over to you, Stephen Pritchard. Henry. Good afternoon, Stephen. Ah, good afternoon. So, apparently, um, Solomon Lou's been going around to the Maya stores of us a Saturday afternoon having a look what's in them, and he wasn't yeah. happy. No, he wasn't happy. He compared, compared them to Salvo's stores, which yes. uh, I think is a little unfair. Um, to the Salvo you know, stores or Maya? Well, probably to both, actually, really. They've both got their niches. I quite like the Salvo stores. Um, I've bought some good stuff there. But, um, yeah, no, he's um, he's an 11% shareholder from Maya, having bought the shares way, way higher than they were. Um, and he's somewhat disappointed with the new strategy that the uh, CEO, Richard Umbers, is taking in terms of uh, having lots of discount goodies on the fir- on the first floor in, bar- in uh, bargain bins, which he doesn't really think is in keeping with, with Maya. And I have to... I probably agree with him in that respect. So, um, Solly, I guess, has got uh, a couple of choices. He can just agitate. He's asked for uh, the names and addresses of all shareholders. Uh, so he wants to get hold of the register so he can write to them all. I'm not sure that's going to uh, really work. But um, he wants to obviously put his strategy to revive Maya. 
um, and put some pressure on the uh, the CEO. But um, he could, of course, just pony up and, uh, and buy the whole thing out and do what he wants with it. But that would be quite a big bite. He's already done quite a lot of money on his initial 11% as it is. So, um, you know, whether he wants to take on Maya in the twilight of his, uh, his career and at his age remains to be seen. But, um, yeah, enough to get the stock excited briefly yesterday anyway. Okay, okay. So so you don't think he's going to pull out his bank card and go down? Oh, we don't have bank cards anymore. His Visa well, card and go down well, and he, 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 Well, he didn't actually pull out his Visa card he, um, when he bought the 11%. He pulled out his company Visa card, yes. um, which our RSL people will know all about. Um, but he pulled out his corporate card um, and uh, used Premier Investments, which is his uh, company that owns Smiggle, Peter Alexander and the various other uh, brands like Just Jeans uh, to buy the stake. So he didn't buy it himself. So um, as all corp- good corporate executives do, why not put it on the company? That's right. And the best I've seen for a while is that the new CEO of Sydney Airport's put it on the company before he even starts. Two, yeah. Two, 2.4 million sign-on fee. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? He's making some of the English Premier League uh, players sit up and take notice. Um, I guess, you know, when you, when you leave a company early, and he obviously had some long-term incentives to stay with GE, uh, which is where he's coming from, uh, you do sacrifice certain things. Um, and as such, if the company you're going to wants to uh, wants to get you on board, they have to give you some sort of compensation. But, um, you know, it does seem a little bit on the largesse side of things. But um, he's going to have some challenges, bearing in mind that Kerry Mather is a hard to follow. She's been there for 15 years, done a great job, um, and it gets harder from here because, of course, we've got Badgerys Creek coming along, and uh, Sydney Airport is not building Badgerys Creek, and so it will be competing. Not that there will be much competition, I suspect, but um, uh, if, if the uh, government has anything to do with building Badgerys Creek, which it looks like they will, it's probably going to be like an episode of Utopia. Ah, okay. And what's 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 happening down at Tabcorp and Tats? We seem to have further delays in this merger or takeover or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean this this one seems to be running longer than a Game of Thrones episode or series at the moment. Um, it's a year uh, since the two of them agreed to uh, to get together and get into bed together. Um, but uh, unfortunately for them, I'm not sure their tactics have been really that successful because. They went over the ACCC's head to get the merger cleared and went to a thing called the Australian Competition Tribunal, which I have to say, I, before they did this, I, I'd never really heard of, to be, to be quite honest, and I always considered the ACCC to be the highest uh, law in the land as far as regulatory approvals go for, uh, for these sorts of mergers. Um, but they went over the ACCC's head, asked the ACT to, uh, to say yes. Um, they kind of did. And the ACCC rightly probably got a little miffed and decided that they may need to assert their authority. So they've gone to court. Um, it's all got uh, a bit bogged down again, and it looks like the timetable is going to be pushed out. Tabcourt were hoping to get the merger done by the end of the year. There was going to be a vote in uh, the end of November, uh, October, rather. Um, but it's all just kind of getting bogged down again with lawyers at 10 paces and Crown Bet upset and various other people upset. So... Uh, I guess there's no certainty that a merger will go through at all. So it could be a second anniversary on this? Um, I think we might be sending another birthday card. We've already sent it one birthday card okay. for this deal, and, and mm-hmm. maybe we'll be uh, sending another one. Well, talking of, talking about getting out of bed, apparently the mm. NABs bought their domain name, nab.com, <laughs> because it was <laughs> it was owned by some adult, adult uh, uh, dating <laughs> site or something. Yeah, I guess this is uh, this is kind of one of those fintech fails, and you think 
you know, you, you kind of try and get all the websites um, sorted. But, um, yeah, it looks like they finally sorted this one. So um, good for NABs, but, um, you know, it's you know these guys are supposed to be at the forefront of technology and doing great things and have great budgets. And uh, it's a little embarrassing, to say the least, that they didn't have that domain name. Yeah, and we'll be back in a minute to talk about what CBA wants to do to mortgage brokers. Yeah. yeah. So uh, apparently CBA has now come out and wants to to look at reducing sourcing um, their home loans from mortgage brokers. Uh, mm. uh, I, I don't understand why they encourage it to start with. Well, I, I guess it's kind of um, – it gives them a, a lot of distribution channels. Yeah. Um, they, they've just bought uh, out the, the balance of uh, Aussie home loans as well, which um, I guess is interesting. So they're internalising um, their uh, their mortgage distribution channels, I guess, if you, if you want to look at it that way. But certainly mortgage brokers are under some – some pressures. There's been a review and an inquiry into the uh, into the business. Um, there's also been a look at the um, the, the so-called trailing fees, where uh, a mortgage broker gets a, a cut of your mortgage for the, yeah. for the life of that mortgage, um, and the upfront fees as well. So um, I guess it's a, it's an industry that is under pressure. It has served banks very very well. Um, they've been able to get their products out there um, without having to invest in the necessary infrastructure. So um, they have to strike a balance, I guess, and not disrupt all these people because uh, someone will step into breach and offer finance through mortgage brokers. But uh, certainly some of the, uh, the trailing fees, the upfront commissions were a little bit on the generous side, plus the trips to Hawaii and all that other stuff they, oh, they get oh, as well. Oh, oh that sounds so, nice, doesn't it? Anyhow, yeah, nice. Uh, there's potential buyers knocking on Murray Goldman's door. <laughs> yeah, this is an odd one. Murray Goldman, which is the previous management, completely stuffed it up, yes. uh, alienated a lot of farmers who have been leaving in droves. Uh, or herds, maybe, uh, to uh, to Fonterra. Um, they um, they kind of opened the books and said, "Hey guys, we're for sale. Come and buy us." And uh, surprise, surprise, there's a few people that have looked at it and are still looking at it. Uh, one of the front runners is, of course, Fonterra, which has uh, a great presence in Australia. It probably would be more palatable to the farmers who have ultimate control of this company. It's unlike other shares, and the shareholders don't have any votes. Um, it is up to the uh, to the members of the cooperative that have to uh, to vote on any change in uh, ownership. They have to get 90%. So um, there's been a few Chinese players mentioned, but I, I would imagine that Fonterra okay. would be the front runner um, at the moment. So uh, we'll wait and see. But it's unusual for a company to put itself in play. Um, it's kind of a, a tacit omission from the present um, management that they've got no idea how to turn it around. Mm. Mm. Not a good, not a good look. No, it's just amazing, and no doubt they paid many millions of dollars. Mm. And, yeah. and and is Coca Cola starting to get a bit desperate or something? Because I, I saw, <laughs> I saw the, you know, we're now going to have coffee flavored, sugar free Coke. Yeah, that just smacks of desperation to me. I guess you know, Coke does. Uh, Coca Cola does. Uh, it's quite big in the coffee market. They've got, uh, I think, Grinders is one of their brands, and uh, of course they've got their premium uh, Coke brand. So why not mash them together? Well, I mean, we've got vanilla Coke. We can have coffee Coke. We could have all sorts of Coke. Have chocolate Coke. Um, I think that you know that these guys have got some issues in terms of uh, um, the healthy kind of backlash against uh, sugary drinks and they've tried to alleviate that with sugar free and all the other things but they they also have some some health problems that some people consider to be um, 
be relevant. So yeah, it's kind of thrashing around looking for solutions to uh, to a problem. But um, yeah, I'm not sure if coffee well, coke is the answer. Well, you know, I don't know if they're going to be able to put it on the shelves. Woolworths already said last time we had this other coke something yeah, that we already had too many cokes. Yeah, it sounds like the sort of thing that some really cool marketing department had a brainstorming weekend about and decided that this would be the, you know, let's let's mash these two together and it would be really cool. The millennials will go for it. They'll want their double caffeine hit and they'll want their coffee flake. You really? You know, have a Coke or have a coffee. Don't have both at the same time. Yeah, yeah, sounds that's horrible. That's, yeah, that's what I thought. But anyhow, yeah, I won't yeah. be trying it. And and no. sh- and uh, and the class action lawyers are being sued by another lot of class action lawyers. Yeah, well, that's that's always the way of things, isn't it? Lawyers love suing each other. It's good for business, puts the competition under pressure. So, yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't got a lot of time for lawyers, unfortunately. Yeah, but yeah, so. uh, lots of cla- lots of class actions around. And, Always fun. And and back to our other perennial takeover. Um, next DC is, is is raises now concerns over three sixty capital to pay for the to pay for their revised bid. Yeah, we've we've been talked about this before, I guess. Next DC sort of sold off their um, their um, the property side of their um, cloud computing business, and, and then became the biggest tenant. And the other thing became um, a real estate investment trust or a property trust, and looked after the the property side of it. And then 360 Capital came along and said, "Hang on a second, I think we're getting you know, shareholders getting ripped off," and uh, have decided to take the thing over. Uh, much to the annoyance, I guess, of Next DC, which have finally been outbid. So there's a bit of sour grapes here. Um, I suspect um, TGP or 360 Capital, as they're known, uh, will be able to get the funding. They did have quite a big cash balance anyway, so I don't think it's going to be a, a big ask. Their money is relatively easy to come by these days. It's cheap, but it's um, plenty of people out there that want to give you some money. So um, I'm sure they'll be uh, funded, and, uh, and Next will be uh, now the tenant um, and again, and uh, responsible to, uh, to 360 Capital rather than AJD. Yes. And so there's public holidays all over the place. I think Melbourne gets an extra day tomorrow. So, so Yeah, I can't work that one out. Oh, it's grand final day on Saturday, apparently. We need to, we need to get it's it. Just re- it's just ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, what kind of country has a bank holiday for a football match? I mean, this is just stupid. I mean, we have, it's bad enough they have a day off for the races, let alone having a day off for the, uh, for a football match. I mean, come on, guys. But at least the races is on the day they have off. Yeah, well, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, what's, you know, when I have, when I have two days off in preparation for the football match, I mean, come on. Um, so yeah, then we've got one on Monday. So why in this day and age we cannot in the country that in the 21st century, like, Australia actually coordinate our holidays. Really, mm. it's just crackers. So, crackers. you've you've coordinated your your trial offer though. though. People can still. Oh, that, we have. What a good segue that is. Yes, you can go to marcustoday.com.au and sign up for a two week free trial and and read all the good good stuff. So, um, yeah, by all means, uh, love uh, love some of the listeners to do that. Okay, thanks, Henry. Talk to you next week. Che- And we're taking a look at um, fixed interest portfolio and uh, how you go about building an investment portfolio of that kind. And we're joined now, Stephen Pritchard, by Richard Murphy, who's CEO and co-founder of the Australian Corporate Bond Company. Hi, Richard. 
Good, good. So, so we, we, most people are, are quite familiar with um, you know how they go about building a uh, equities type portfolio, and and until um, you know the last couple of years, it's been very difficult to to build a a portfolio in corporate bonds. So, I thought we might just get you along today to talk about how we can go about building a a a uh, fixed interest portfolio, similar to you can build a equities portfolio, and what the differences sure. are. Um, I, I think one of the first things to think about is um, what's the difference between bonds and shares. Everybody knows shares, you own the company, you're an owner of the company, whereas bonds, you should really just think of bonds as you're owed money by the company, you've lent somebody 100 bucks, and they're going to pay you back, and it's not really invested in the company. You've lent the money, and you need to get paid back. So it isn't really about equity versus bonds. You have both equities and bonds in portfolios, and big fund managers have them together all around the world. Right. So, so are there different is there different types of um, bonds? Um, you know, is it we, we hear about these credit ratings like the Standard and Poor's credit ratings? What what does what does that all mean basically? Yeah. So, um, the big ratings agencies around the world they rate bond issuers, and that might be governments or it could be companies. Yep. And you've heard of the AAA credit rating, and the Australian government is AAA. That basically means it's a really good risk. It's a really good uh, chance of paying you back because the Australian government raises taxes that can easily pay us back. Whereas one of the big four banks, um, Westpac, might be double A. Um, so it's a bit more for risk than the government. Um, whereas Qantas might be triple B because it's more risky than the bank and more risky than government. So rating agencies provide these um, credit ratings to give investors, mostly the big fund managers, a sense of where does that company stand in the the pecking order when it comes to who's who's most likely to pay me back, government, who's least likely to pay me back, company number 850, and then all sorts in between. So um, when, when you're looking at bonds, um, the ones that are listed on the ASX, which are um, called XTBs, exchange-traded bonds, they're all investment grade. There's one that's slightly outside investment grade, but really you're talking about top 100 ASX companies would all tend to be investment grade. And investment grade means it's one of those rating agencies or above that the big fund managers will invest in. So AMP and Colonial won't invest below triple B, and Qantas is triple B. So Qantas is about the riskiest company that they would invest in. Um, they say, look, it's all investment grade or above. So they'll invest in Qantas, they'll invest in Lendlease and the banks and Telstra, Woolies, etc. But they won't invest in the bonds issued by you know company number four hundred. Some 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 mining yeah. exploration company that wants to raise a few dollars, they won't invest. Exactly, in the bonds, they, they, they might have a fund that invests in the equity and you know yeah. hopes to, to, for the equity to double in price. But with bonds, it's really you're not expecting bonds to double in value. You're expecting it to act a lot more like your term deposit, being money in, money out, income along the way, and I want to be paid back, and so. Um, that, that's where bonds fit in. It's not, it's not in the growth part of your portfolio. So you might say, right, I'm going to have 50% of my, of my portfolio in, um, in equities, and I hope they're going to grow in capital value and going to pay good dividends. And then the other 50% could be in bonds that I'm expecting to give me a bit more return than a term deposit for a little bit more risk. Yeah, so basically, it, typically, uh, typically in, in, in what I've seen in, in our firm is that a balanced portfolio, we, we would put 50% of the money into growth assets and 50% into to fixed interest. And, and Exactly. You, yeah, and you won't get as, you know, you, you're trying to manage risk um, in the portfolio like that because, you know, if, 
the bonds, hopefully, um, are going to be pretty much stable in price, and whereas the whereas the equities are going to be going up and down. And the worst thing you want to do is exactly have exactly. some money. Yeah. You need some money, and then you've got to sell the equities, which happen to be down at the time. So, yeah. so with the bonds, one of the one of the things about bonds is, you know, the the the, the shareholders um, get a, a dividend each year, and you know that's a lot of times that's reflected in the earnings of the company. They've got payout ratios linked to, say, 70% of the dividend, uh, 70% of the earnings, and if the earnings go down, the dividends fall. So what happens with the income from the bonds? Yes. So bonds is a contractual arrangement. The company says, I'm going to issue bonds, and the big fund managers line up and say, right, I expect you to pay me 4.5% or 3.5%, whatever it is. Um, once they lock that in, they have to pay it out. So it doesn't matter what happens to their earnings. Bonds get paid out. So with Telstra, for example, is a great example because it obviously cost its dividend recently. It's got about six different senior bonds on issue that the big yep. fund managers buy, and not, nothing happens to that income at all. And if, if Telstra turned around and said, oh, I just want to I want to pair back the bond coupon 5% or even 1%, that's it. It's in default, and they'd be calling in the administrator. So bonds are contractually locked in to pay their, their coupon. So you once you buy one, you know that that 4% or 3% or 3.5%, whatever the number is, that that's it, you're definitely going to get that. Very much like a TD can turn around and tell you, um, oh, by the way, I told you you're getting this interest. You're not getting this interest anymore. Well, you are. So it's that's that's the deal with bonds. So so what, what type of range, on the XTBs that trade on the market, what type of range of interest rates can you... Or yields, can you presently pick those up? Do you, do you have rough indication of that? Yeah, definitely. So they they range up to about 4%, and there's quite a lot of them. The bank, a bank bond and a bank term deposit will be very, very similar. So you might see um, yields of low twos for some bank XCBs, and you think, oh, hang on, wouldn't I just be better off leaving my money in the term deposit? The only reason why people might move to a similar yielding bond is at least you can sell it every day. Uh, whereas a TD, you're locked in for the period and you can't break it if it's within 30 days of, of maturity. But you can then get, um, you know, Qantas for 3.5%. And you think, well, would I, would I lend Qantas 100 bucks? Do I think they're going to pay me back? Um, versus 2.5% or 2.4 or 2.2. Um, I think last time I was on your show, the average TD rate was 2.4%. I think it's now closer to 2.1%. Yeah. So TD yields are low, so people are constantly asking, well, what are the yields on um, bonds on the ASX and on these XTBs? So they range up to about four. You can easily put a portfolio together, you know, a, a pack of, of different bonds, say four or five different bonds, that will give you, you know, 3.4% average or 3.6% average if you just pick the ones that are higher yielding. But, of course, those are those are companies like um, Qantas and Illumina and Downer that are more risky than um, a bank and more risky than a government. But that's really the deal. You think, well, they're still ASX top 100. I don't, they've been around for you know dozens of years as companies. I don't think they're going to fall over, if that's your view. And then people invest in, in those and can get 3.5%, which is like a 40% pickup in your income compared with 2.5% from a, a term deposit. Yeah, so we, we might just come back in a minute and talk about designing the, the bonds for different investor needs. <laughs> And we're talking about uh, fixed interest bonds and an investment portfolio with Richard Murphy, who's from the Australian Corporate Bond Company. So you can build a, a portfolio in bonds, like you, similar to like you can equities to meet different needs. Is that, is that right? Yes, absolutely. And the first thing I guess you, you need to think about is how much diversification do I 
I need. So we think about equities. People say, oh, you need 20 or 30 different equities to be diversified because there's obviously so many different yeah. industry classes, etc. But if you take, take two companies, uh, Landlease and Woolworths, they're fundamentally different industries. Um, you, and therefore, you need both of those in your portfolio to be diversified. But if they were exactly the same chance of not paying you back, which they are because they both have the same investment credit rating, then lending 100 bucks to Lendlease versus lending 100 bucks to Woolworths is kind of the same risk. So if they both have the same yield, why would you need both? So our view would be that you don't really need as much diversification as you do with equities when it comes to bonds for that reason. And also the other reason is the risk of default of these very, very senior bonds is very low um, because they are top 100 companies. Um, the their investment grade companies and the the historical default of of these big companies all around the world has been measured by S and P for a hundred years and a three year bond chance of default is zero point three percent so that's a very very low risk so you don't really need diversification as much because you put in a hundred bucks you're going to get a hundred bucks back and there's very very low capital volatility so our view would be that you only need you know five six seven eight um, bonds to be diversified um, compared with you know twenty or thirty equities. And one one of the things that's that's coming along is that the um, Reserve Bank of Australia's um, basically come out and said that the the next interest rate rise acts the next interest rate adjustment they expect to be a upward adjustment. So high interest rates are going to rise, and and I think they've also said somewhere along the line they're targeting a long term uh, long term rate. In the longer term, a cash rate of three and a half percent. So, so what does that mean when you're going to pick corporate bonds? Because if you're picking a long date bond and the, the the cash rate's going up, you're you're going to kind of make a capital loss there, I'd expect, if you need to sell yes. them in the meantime. So, what can you do about that? So, the first thing to think about is how long is my bond? Is it a one-year bond, one year to go to maturity, or is it a government bond that is thirty years to go to maturity? Because, as you say. If the RBA turned around tomorrow and just surprised everybody and said, right, it's a it's a 1% increase in interest rate um, for some reason, some hypothetical reason, um, then yes, fixed rate bonds would fall in value. The one-year bond would barely fall in value. The 30-year bond would absolutely plummet and might fall 20%. So very, very long-dated bonds are highly sensitive to interest rate changes up and down. So if interest rates were cut, they'd actually go up in, in price. Whereas you need to be thinking about, I need to be looking at shorter dated bonds, so bonds that are maybe two and three and four years in, in, in length to, until they mature. And then the other thing you're thinking about is, well, actually, if I'm actually investing in this two or three year bond, and I'm planning, and I buy, say, four different ones or five different ones, and I plan to hold them all to maturity on the, you know, when, they, when they actually mature, it doesn't matter if interest rates shot up 10% because you're getting $100 back no matter what. So you're putting your money in, you get $100 back, and the $100 of maturity is not impacted. As you pointed out, it's the price in between. If you yep. needed to sell out in between. So, yeah, you might need, you would definitely need to sell out in between if you're buying a 30-year bond, unless you're a 20-year-old. You know, yes. Nobody's got 30 years to maturity to wait. Whereas right. a three-year bond, if rates did shoot up unexpectedly, you always have the backstop of saying, well, I got that at a 3.5% yield. And it's going to deliver me that when it matures and give me back, gives me back okay. the $100, no matter what interest rates do. Okay, we're going to have to wind up there. Thanks, Thanks for that, Richard.
And thank you very much, Richard Murphy, CEO and co-founder of Australian Corporate Bond Company. Uh, Our look at bonds. Fixed interest, how to build a fixed interest portfolio. And that is Thursday Finance for today on 2NURFM. Back next Thursday after the 12 o'clock news. Catch this program on podcast. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.